You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. All right, title of my message this morning is very simply this. It's called Water. It's a little bit of a different message. I have four different snapshots that I'm gonna look at. And so for the next three hours, I wanna take each one and break it down. I'm just joking. Um, you're like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. We're out of here. So I do have four different snapshots. And by the way, when I grew up in church, I grew up overseas, my parents were missionaries. Some of the church services we had were the longest church services ever. I'm talking four hours in a church service. Everyone had to give a testimony. Everyone had to do a special song. Every, I mean, you name it, four hours in church. One guy got up to preach. He was an American guy who flew down. We were living in Peru at the time. And he said, I have 100 points for my message. He was not joking. He brought a flashlight on stage and he said, anybody falls asleep in here, I'm shining the light on them and they have to stand up for the rest of the time. By the way, 100 points that he teaches in English that then has to be translated into Spanish, hallelujah. One little Peruvian guy in like the middle section started falling asleep and that flashlight came out. That little Peruvian guy had to stand up the whole time like this from like points 50 some all the way up to 100. So I only have four sections. Doesn't it sound a lot better now? Yeah, okay, all right, so there we are. A Little bit of a different one. I'm gonna start off with showing you a picture. This person's name is Joshua Bell, he's a musician. And he's an unbelievable violinist. I mean, just incredibly accomplished, renowned throughout the world. He's unbelievably gifted and phenomenal. People pay incredible amounts of money to be able to listen to him and what he has to offer with his unbelievable skills at the violin. Back in 2007, he did this like little experiment thing where outside of our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., he put on a baseball cap, he got his violin, which by the way, at that point in 2007 was worth $3.5 million. He went into the metro station of Washington, D.C., and for 45 minutes straight, he played six different pieces on his violin from Bach. Some of the most complex violin playing ever. And he just stood there. And nobody really knew who he was. The week before, he had played a sold-out crowd in Boston where, I mean, people came from all over to be able to hear him play. And now here he is, baseball cap on, and he's in the subway, and he's just playing the violin, and nobody knew who he was. It was told that like a three-year-old little boy stopped and fell in wonder for a little while until his mom just ushered him away. People were busy going to work. It's rush hour, nation's capital. People had things to do, places to go. And, and so people, you know, some stopped for a little bit. He did collect tips. He made $32 while he was there. But most people just got things to do. The reason I, I like this illustration, the reason I tell you this, is because the theme we have for Renovation Greenville this year is this, is that we get a chance to follow Jesus together. One of the things about Jesus, about God, is that he's different. He doesn't do things the way that we would do them. The Bible says in Isaiah that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that his ways are different than our ways. And one of the interesting things that Jesus himself says is this, is that if you wanna find him, you have to seek him. 
So sometimes we have this idea that God is just gonna part the clouds and shine this incredible bright light or we read stories in the Bible where there's a burning bush or you name the miracles and we expect, okay, those things are gonna maybe happen to us and if you've had those experiences, that is awesome. But in general, if you wanna find God, he's hidden. If he wasn't hidden, you wouldn't have to seek him in order to actually find him, seek him to find him. And in a lot of ways, Everyone's moving about their life, and just like Joshua Bell, this incredible musician, he's just playing. He's present, and he's available, and he wants to walk with you. The problem is, is that we're just so busy going about our lives that it's so easy to miss him. And yet you and I, at different points in our life, and I imagine there's probably a lot of you who've made a decision to follow Jesus, at one point in your journey, you encountered him in a way that you could never ignore. And he puts you on this track to say, I don't want to miss out on Jesus anymore. And by the way, if you haven't made that decision, I'm so glad that you're in church. But either way, there's something about this Jesus that's different and he can be hard to find sometimes. It doesn't always make sense in the moment. It doesn't always, you can't always understand everything exactly as it is. That's why we're called to actually seek him. Let me, let me tell you some things about God real quick. Just a little theologically. I want you to think about how different God is from us. He's omniscient, that means he knows everything. Let me get this way, ready? God has never had a new thought. Think about that for a second. He's never woken up and said, oh, I didn't think about that before. Imagine never ever having a new thought. Put it to you this way. God doesn't just know everything that will happen. Think about how big, let's get philosophical for a second. He knows everything that could happen. Not just will, but could and all the infinite possibilities. He's simply more. He has only ever been. Here's the word that we use for God, is he's sovereign. Now, that's a really important big word, but let me just give you a very simple definition. It just means that he's supreme. There is no one greater than God. He is all-powerful. He, he, he is omnipresent. Let me give you another, think about this for a second. How incredible God is. He has never once traveled anywhere ever. He has only ever been. He's everywhere all the time. He, I mean, he's just, how do you encapsulate a God who has never, ever, ever traveled? He's not like, man, I just wanna get away from this place. He's only ever been. And he knows all these things, but let me, let me share with you one of my actually favorite things about God, which feels like it's not a big deal, but in the end, I promise you, this is an awesome deal. It's massive. God is, and it's a, not a super big word, but it's an important word, he's immutable. It means that God can't change. Think about this. If God could change, that means that God could get better, but because he's the best there ever was, he actually has no possibility of getting better. He just is. That means he is, by nature, immutable. He's unchanging. There's no way you can improve upon who he is. So how do you take this godness that created the sun, the moon, the stars by speaking it I know today you can go home and say, hey, Siri, turn the light on, and the light might come on, but being able to say, hey, sun, I speak you into existence, and the sun gets created, that's a different level of power. So how does he relate with you and I? And then how do you and I come together to be so mesmerized by this Jesus, who, who God, the creator, by the way, Colossians says this, that it's Jesus who created these things. He's the visible image of an invisible God. He made us. How do we follow him together? How do we get to know, walk with him? Well, we turn to scripture. We see that in the Bible, there's these different stories of where he interacts with us. 
And so these four different snapshots we're gonna look at are just quick little snapshots. Some of these you've heard preached before, but I wanna look at these as you and I make the decision to follow Jesus together of different aspects about who this God is, why he is, and how he wants to be with us and how we can follow him together more. So part one is this, ready? Living water. I don't have a lot of points, but I do have four snapshots. Living water. Here's a story that actually you've heard preached probably many times if you've been to church for a while. In fact, one of the times I was in Greenville, Matt, Matt preached from this passage of scriptures, the woman at the well, John chapter four, but we're only gonna look at three verses real quick. Ready? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Okay, pause for a second. You know the story, or maybe if you don't know the story, here's the story. Jesus is exhausted. He's by himself. His disciples have left. He's sitting by a well. A woman comes up and, and she's coming to draw water. Jesus asks her to give him some water. She's shocked because Jesus, as a Jew, shouldn't be talking to her. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. How could she be talking with this Jewish guy? So she's kind of blown away because it's a little socially awkward. And so then she goes, well, sir, you know, how come, whatever. And then, and, and then basically he was like, well, if you knew who I was and the gift of God that was for you, you would ask me for something. And, and she's like, it's just the most bizarre interaction. If you're going about your day to the well to get your water to wash clothes or to cook, and someone offers you living water, it's just a weird day, okay? That's what this woman's experiencing. She's experiencing a weird interaction and a weird day. Let's go to verse 13 and 14. She, by the way, asked him, are you gonna give me living water? And then he replies in 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Again, she doesn't get it. How many times, just like a guy playing Bach in a subway, do we miss what God is doing because he's just more than? And how many times in our life has God wanted to do something in us that we haven't fully understood in the moments, not till later we look back and then we're like, oh, that's what God was doing. I didn't see it because he's just simply more. And so he, he has this interaction with this woman uh, who later has her eyes open and is blown away by this Jesus, but it's this incredible life-changing interaction. And he offers her living water. Now the world that you and I live in even though it's very different from the world that this woman was in, the comparisons can be there. Jesus basically says, hey, if you keep drinking of this water, you're gonna be thirsty again. In other words, the world that you and I live in is temporary. You can pursue temporary things, but they'll never satisfy you fully. And the world that you and I live in is full of pursuing temporary things that honestly, you have to get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because there's never ever a full moment of just peace in the world that we have. We have more technology than we've ever had and yet we're more stressed out than we've ever been. So the comparison can be there. You can take of the world and have and have and have and have, but it's never gonna be enough for you. And then Jesus basically says, but if you come to me, I have something to offer you which will actually be long lasting. She's like, what the heck are you talking about? Again, God can sometimes be hidden. Sometimes it doesn't make sense in the moment. I grew up living in a lot of different countries, but one thing about all the countries that I've lived in most of the places that I've ever lived in is this, is that when you go to eat food in all the places I've lived in, you use utensils, knife, fork, and spoon. And can I declare something? I love food. Food, there's two categories of people, those who 
eat to live and those who live to eat, I am squarely in number two and I'm working hard to balance that out. I love me some food. And so utensils, my whole life eating and I've lived in a lot of different countries. Until this, I got a chance to go to Saudi Arabia in January. And while we're in Saudi Arabia, and I'm gonna show you some pictures, we got down to sit this massive feast for a meal. It was absolutely incredible. And as this food was getting delivered to the table and it smelled delicious, I saw zero utensils, like none. I've eaten chopsticks before, but I've always had utensils. So I said, excuse me, sir, can you please, you know, where are the utensils at? Because I'm starving, I'd like to dig in. He said, no, just eat with your hands. I said, what? <laughs> you ever been a kid and you're like, like, this is like freedom for a kid. You mean I don't have to use utensils? My son is nine and he still eats his pancakes by picking them up and putting them in his mouth like this. It's ridiculous. So here we are, the full spread of food. It's rice and sauces. And I'm like, well, how do you get the rice? They say, you just get your hand and like this and dig it. And I'm like, all right, all right. We just started stuffing out. It, it's just different. Here's the thing. One of the reasons why we miss God is because we're so used to being, things being, well, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. When you go to eat your food, you have a knife, fork, and spoon. That's how you always do it until you go into a place that says, you don't need a knife, fork, and spoon. You got your hands. Everyone washed their hands before we ate, by the way, because <laughs> Lord have mercy. If you're a germaphobe, that's like your worst nightmare coming in life. Anyway, we all washed our hands, and it was delicious. It was an absolutely incredible experience, but it was different. In the same way, God is simply different. This matters because if, you're gonna follow, if we are gonna follow Jesus together, we can't follow our expectations of what Jesus should be or what we think he should be. We need to follow who he actually is. I know that sounds kind of unique. We all have in our mind what we think Jesus should be but he's different. His ways are higher. And this woman encounters Jesus and she's blown away by it. She doesn't fully get it and he get, basically is leading her into, you can have a relationship with the Messiah, which is me. And you, a woman who's a Samaritan, you actually can worship God. And then later on he says this in spirit and truth. God is just simply different. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always have to be something that you understand completely. But what Jesus is offering her is a relationship to worship God unhindered. And it's an incredible relationship that she can have with him. It's just simply different. Now, here's the thing for us, you and I today. When it comes to pursuing and following Jesus together, how do you and I follow Jesus? Well, a lot of us can think that when we follow Jesus, it's kind of like we have a barter system in our mind. It's about, okay, well, if I do good, then God's gonna be okay with me, and then it's all gonna be good. And we pray like this barter system too. Okay, God, if you come through on this, then I'm gonna come through on this. Or if you get into a bind, you say, okay, God, I promise I'll never go back to this if you show up like this. And what this woman doesn't understand, what a lot of us have a hard time understanding is this. God is a relationship God. We don't have to understand everything about Jesus to get this one concept that what God longs for is a relationship completely with us. You don't have to understand every nuance of God, and you can't. He's simply too much more but he wants to have a relationship. I have a younger sister who's 11 years younger than I am, and she's adopted. And when she was born, she was born in Chile, South America. Her name was Maria Teresa. And at 15 days, we adopted her in our family. And her name changed from Maria Teresa to Hope Havland because she became part of our family. You can't comprehend the infiniteness of God 
But there's one thing that God is offering this woman at the well is a relationship. And the most beautiful thing that all of us could have is that we can be God's sons and daughters. You may not be able to figure everything out, but you might be able to figure that out. God wants to have a relationship with me. And in a relationship with the son or daughter, you know something? You don't have to barter anymore. You just have to be. I have three kids. Let me tell you something about my kids. Ready? None of my kids is ever afraid to bust into my room at three in the morning like Kool-Aid man. It could be three in the morning and my four-year-old will come in and poof, I'm thirsty, dad. I'm thirsty, mom. My teenage daughter will come into our room. Dad, I need this. None of my kids have ever been afraid at three in the morning to go, hey, we need something. Or at any time. They're never afraid to ask for anything because they're my kids. By the way, if you come into my room at three in the morning, that's a whole different story. (laughs) Now we're crossing all kinds of weird lines. I will protect myself and defend myself. By the way, if I show up in your bedroom at three in the morning, you should be concerned. That's a weird relationship. That should never happen. Like, hey, what you doing? I'm praying for you. I want you to know this. Like, but my kids, because they are my kids, have zero qualms about coming into my room because they know that I'm their dad. Now, you can't understand everything about God, and you're never meant to. We're limited beings. But there is one thing that he is offering this woman at the well. Ready? It's relationship, adoption, freedom to worship him. You don't have to barter anymore. Why? Because God has always ever cared about you since forever. And because he knows everything, the beginning from the end, there's not a single need that you will ask him for that he doesn't have a way or a way to provide for it. This woman is going to get water, but she leaves transformed because she had an interaction with Jesus. So as you and I decide to follow Jesus together, he doesn't do things the way we think he should do them. He's different. We have to check our understanding at the door, but there's one thing that we can't hold on to. Ready? He doesn't want any of us to be perfect. He just wants us to be his sons or daughters. That's all. So number one is that. That's the longest one. Number two, here's a completely different story. Ready? I told you these are four different sections. Split rock. Split rock. This is Old Testament, old school. Moses and the Israelites have left Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness, and in verse two of Exodus 17, we're gonna dive into this story. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? So, by the way, not an invalid complaint. These were not bad people. These were thirsty people. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, by the way, side note, all the problems that Moses had, do you know what Moses did? He took them to God and just said, God, what are you gonna do with this? One of the best things you and I will ever do with all the problems we have is go to God and say, God, what do you wanna do about this? That's what Moses did. And then God would say, do this, Moses. If you wanna live life following Jesus together, you do that same approach, take all your problems today and say, God, what do you wanna do about this? Here's the thing, though. When God tells you what to do about it, you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to do that. That's a real thing. Moses is getting ready to be told by God what what he wants to be done with this. Ready? Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Call on some elders of Israel to join you, and I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and the water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out. 
as the elders looked on. It's a crazy story. In the middle of the wilderness, Moses strikes a rock and it seems like it's a fairy tale kind of a little bit. Me and several pastors here in the upstate, we had a chance to go to Saudi Arabia, the land of Midian. And in Saudi Arabia, Northwest area, we believe actually that's where Mount Sinai is. And I wanna show you some pictures. I got a chance to camp out here, visit these different places. It's almost untouched. There's a mountain there. In fact, the Bedouins in the area uh, call it Jebel Musa, which is Moses' mountain. And if you know the story of Exodus, God is up there and communicating with Moses. This mountain is blackened up top. It's wild. It's really crazy. And there's all kinds of things that line up with scripture on this mountain. I could take forever to tell you about them. I don't have time for that. But I just want to show you this. At the base of this mountain, there's a massive plain where you could have a whole bunch of Israelites. And there, are mass, there is one massive altar down here. I want to show you a picture of inscriptions. At the altar, there's etchings of bovine creatures, which the Israelites, they left Egypt. They would have been worshiping other gods. And you know Moses is up on the mountain if you know your old, your old school uh, Old Testament history. While he's up there talking with God, the Israelites, they basically worship a golden calf. At the base of the mountain is a massive altar with etchings of bovine creatures. It's fascinating. And then in this same area, we got a chance to go to a place called Split Rock. I wanna show you an image first to give you an idea. This is of a giant plain. You would have had Israelites who could have been in the plain. And then there's this one rock that is sticking up just like you see in the background. And it's a rock split right down the middle. And to give you context of size, that's one of the pastors who's in between the rock right there. It is absolutely massive. And at the base of this, there's evidence of water erosion in the middle of a desert. It's crazy to actually see. Here's one more picture like this from a distance. And so you take this story of Exodus, and I can imagine Moses going up and he's like, well, I'm gonna do with these people. Man, everyone's thirsty. And he goes and he strikes the rock and it's absolutely incredible. Here's the thing, here's this, here's, God is taking his people out of Egypt and in Egypt there was many, 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 many gods. So what does God do? He leads them in the middle of nowhere to teach them one lesson that there's only one God and that's him. So he's removing Egypt from the Israelites in the middle of nowhere and showing them he's able to make a way. God is able to make a way. It's this incredible story, this incredible snapshot. The split rock right there. Now, that was section number two. First one is woman at the well with the water. Number two is split rock. Number three, part three is Jesus. Let's go here. It says this. This is after the crucifixion. Jesus had died. And in John chapter 19, we're gonna see two little verses tucked in here. It says this. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. By the way, a quick explanation. The crucifixion, which is unbelievably difficult. They nail, and there's debate about where they nailed him, in the wrists or the hands. I believe that they nailed Jesus on the cross through his wrists and through his feet. But the way you would die when you were crucified is because you would stop breathing. You would asphyxiate. And what you would have to do when you were on the cross, this is just an explanation, is you would be down like this. In order to continue living, you had to raise your body up with the nails in those things and breathe. And then you go back down again. 
and you would actually die, not from loss of blood, you would die because you could no longer breathe. So what the Roman soldiers would do to make that process go quicker is they would break the legs of the people who were crucified so they could no longer hoist themselves up to no longer get air. And so they come to Jesus, and Jesus had been so brutally beaten before he was even nailed to the cross that when they get to him, they realize we don't need to break his legs because he's already dead. By the way, scripture talks about this in the Old Testament. It's crazy how it all lines up. And then we get to verse 34. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. So the one who made everything, the one that we don't always fully understand why he does what he does, gives his life on the cross. Something that even today is amazing. When I was in high school, I was in honors biology and my teacher, he was a professor, this is in high school in Virginia, Northern Virginia, actually Loudoun County. He read that on the news. I graduated from Loudoun County, maybe crazy place. And so he found out I was a Christian and a pastor's kid and we would debate every day in class and I remember his name was Professor Dietrich. I said, Professor Dietrich, I said, you can't deny that Jesus actually lived. He says, I can't. I said, then what you have to do is determine if what Jesus did for us was real or not. And then he said this, well, I can't deny that he lived. But he says, if what he did for us was real, and then he said these words, why would he die for monkeys like us? He was trying to tell me that God couldn't love us enough for that. So when you go to the cross, you're amazed. He gives his life, the creator gives his life. And then his side is pierced and blood and water come out. Now, this water is so symbolic as Christians. We get baptized in water. Let me, let me show you a verse, ready, that connects these things. 1 Corinthians 10, three. Maybe you've never seen this, ready? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He says this, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank, ready? From, they're talk, he's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. He is saying, when they had nothing in the wilderness and water came from the rock, that was God providing for them. And he's saying, and you and I, when we look to Jesus, he is still providing living water for all of us. And the promise made to the woman is a promise that's still made today. He is offering water to anyone who is thirsty. And anyone who comes to know him can be baptized in water. And the old can be gone and the new can be made again. And by the way, if the gospel is real, it can't be real just in the nice, comfortable places in the world. The gospel has to be real in everywhere where it is proclaimed. And when we were in, in Saudi Arabia, uh, the pastors and I, we found out that one of the places we were staying at, one of the workers at that place was a Pakistani man who had given his life to Jesus. Here's the thing about Saudi Arabia and Pakistan. If you're a Christian, you can't show it because you will get in major trouble. And so in our actual interactions, we found out that God had come into this Pakistani man's life. It was incredible, a testimony, how he encountered Jesus. And then he left Pakistan to go to the places where he believed God interacted with his people because that's how much he wanted to actually follow Jesus. Here's the thing. There's no church he can go to. There's no other Christians he can talk to. So he's wandering around trying to figure this out. And he comes across seven pastors, seven people from the upstate who were down there to see what God is doing. He talks with us. We find out he's a Christian. We could just see it in the way he interacted but he'd never been baptized. So we said, let's baptize you right now. So while we're on the trip in Saudi Arabia, this Pakistani man who had given his life to Christ gets to be baptized in water overseas right there in the area where we believe the Israelites got a chance to cross the Red Sea. So here's the video. The quality is not awesome, 
but I want you to see this young man getting baptized. Let's watch this. So this is a show, a type of the death, burial, and resurrection, and a show to the public that you have said you can describe to them. So are you ready to follow up? Yeah? Yeah. I'll go ahead and go down and I'll... I would scoot him up a little, yeah. And by the way, we're having to be quiet because we don't want to get him in trouble. That's why you're not going to hear a loud celebration. Before a group of believers. Jesus Christ is your Lord. Yes, I confess to you, my Lord. Our own, in this world, Jesus Christ is our Lord. And He will be your Your confession of faith, your profession of faith, we are here to baptize you, cover your name, in the name of the Father and Son. someone come here and change my day and uh, let me believe in uh, Jesus again. I, I was always pray for that. I was always pray for that. I want to be a uh, good people in, around me who can teach me about Jesus, who can show me about Jesus. I always okay. want to be good people around me because I, where, wherever I go, I only found bad people. Uh, teach me bad words, uh, teach me bad thinkings. I'd never find a good person who can teach me about God, about Jesus, Jesus Lord. I'd never find him. But I was thankful that day I would find a really holy person like you guys. I'm really yeah, thankful. It's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Good day. God loves you, man. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. How cool who encounters Jesus and they get baptized in water and their life has changed. So you have the woman at the well whose life has changed. Then you have the Israelites who are leaving Egypt who see that God can provide in the middle of nowhere. That he, and then who later Paul writes and says, this is actually Christ who was there giving them what they needed. And then you have Jesus himself on the cross and when he's pierced blood and water flow out. I wanna actually show you the picture of the rock again real quick. This is kind of a wild thing. If you go from that location right there and you go exactly due north, I'm talking like you get a map out you pinpoint that location and you go exactly due north. Exactly due north from that spot is where Jesus was crucified on Golgotha. Remember how I told you that God is unchanging, he's immutable? It's one of the most incredible things for me about God. And the reason why this matters to me 
the fact that he's unchanging is this. When you open up the Bible and you read these incredible stories of how God interacts with people, we think that's for somebody else in a different time, in a different place. And 100%, it's at a different time, in a different place, in a different world. We don't go get our water from wells. We aren't wandering in the wilderness. That's not happening to any of us. But even though all of those things are different, guess what? There is one thing that is the same from back then to right now. God, why? He's immutable. So if the God who could cause water to come from a rock in the wilderness is the same today as he was back then, then that may mean that God also has your needs met if you're willing to be obedient, trust and follow after him. The same God who allowed the woman at the well to be transformed, who later went away and said, come and find out who this man is, who's the Messiah. He told me everything there is to know about who I am. If he is the same God today than he was back then and he is unchanging, then maybe God knows more about us than we possibly could imagine and invites us into a relationship. And then Jesus, who gave his life for us, and then we wonder, God, don't you care about me? Where are you, God? The best way to know if God cares about you is to go to the cross and to see him nailed there where his side gets pierced because you would never find any other God in the history do that for his people so that we could be made new so the old would be gone and then we get freed up, forgiven to then follow Jesus together. There's no one like him. So part four, ready? Ready? God is unchanging, but part four is this, it's you. How do you interact with an unchanging God who is good and providing and doing these different things? This God who can change lives, it's not just in the Bible where he does it. He's, the reason I'm on stage today is because God changed the life of my family. My family, my parents and beyond, I'll just stick to my dad's side, just one side of our family. My grandmother was schizophrenic, diagnosed. On my dad's side, my grandmother was schizophrenic. Her family that my grandmother grew up in was filled with unbelievable levels of abuse. My uncle, great uncle, who I never ever met, used to be chained up like a dog outside of his home. And when he was old enough, he left, he changed his last name, and wants nothing ever to do for the rest of his life with Havilands, anything, because of the abuse that he experienced. My great-grandmother, took her own life. And this trauma caused my grandmother to be schizophrenic and nobody were Christians. No one were Christians, all in Ohio. And you see just, just pain after pain after pain after pain. My dad grew up in a household where his dad, my grandfather was an alcoholic. I never met my grandfather because he died when he was 41. He had a heart attack and he fell. He was an alcoholic. And my dad as a teenager his dad dies, my grandfather dies. My, my dad was 17 when my grandfather died. And he, my dad's a phenomenal musician. He becomes a drug addict hippie, tripping on acid. I mean, you know, the whole thing. And my dad fled the US, was living in Canada in a house with a bunch of other hippies and like some pretty bad dudes, not just hippies, like, like bad dudes. One of the guys was a hitman. And he was just, my dad has a credible testimony. One day when my dad is home, two guys with long hair knock on the house door. This is a crazy story. Knock on the house door. They ask for my dad, my dad by name. He had never met them before and he's never seen them since. They ask for my dad by name. They come into the house and they tell him about Christ. My dad gives his life to, 
gives his life to Jesus right there in Canada. And then they said, can we go baptize you? He said, yes, let's get baptized. They lead my dad outside in Canada in wintertime and they baptize him. Do you know how cold it is in Canada outside in wintertime? They baptize my dad. He comes up a Christian and right then the entire family history that we had, Jesus comes in and says, no more. My dad is radically saved by Jesus. And our, you could, I could take my family history of abuse and scandal and brokenness and alcoholism. I could take it all and wind it up. And then in one moment, my dad is transformed by Jesus. And he gets baptized. And his whole life is shaken to the core. And then my dad goes and finds himself in Virginia Beach and he meets a woman who also had a crazy story, who also encountered Jesus and they get married and they go to the mission field. Now you have to understand, my dad was fleeing anything that was named his responsibility. He just wanted to live life free, whatever he wanted. Jesus transforms him and he says, okay, God, whatever you want from me for the rest of my life, I'll serve you. In fact, my dad made the silly error of telling God that he would serve God anywhere but South America. He didn't wanna go there. It's the one place where God sent my dad. It's where I grew up. Let me show you a picture of myself and my dad when I was a kid to give you an idea. He, at one point, was a drug addict hippie who lived life unbelievably selfishly. And then Jesus got a hold of my dad's heart in an unbelievable moment of life. His life was transformed. By the way, here we are. This is kind of a funny story. He was gonna be reaching out to a church that's in the middle of the desert. By the way, Peru and Chile, they share a desert. It's actually the driest desert in the world. You think of... Saudi Arabia maybe, or even Africa is the driest desert. No, this is the driest desert in the world. The bus was gonna drop us off and there was gonna be someone there to meet us. The bus dropped us off right there and nobody was there to meet us. So the face that my dad has right there is one of, and if you know my dad, it's really funny. My mom takes a picture, I think, to calm my dad down a little bit. We're in the middle of nowhere with no one to pick us up, but behind the scenes, what you need to know is this, in our my dad's line of family history is this. We were lost, but then Jesus. And he, he changed it. And then my kids are growing up in a home and I look at them and I say, kids, look at what God has done for you. Because somewhere in the midst of all these things, Jesus broke through and transformed a life. That's why we wanna follow Jesus together. We may not understand everything, but one thing we can know is this, is that God invites us to walk with him and to know him. And by the way, even though we have to seek God, what he says is this, if you seek me, you will find me. If you knock, you will, you will encounter me. You don't have to wander all the time. You can know me. So I wanna look at you, ready? Look at me in the eyeballs. I know we're almost done what are you gonna do about this? I don't want you to borrow your faith anymore from somebody else. It's time that you follow Jesus because he has stuff for you in your life. I invite you to come out of the shadows of normal complacent living to meet a God who created you and has a plan for you. So there's two things, real quick. Here's my challenge to you, ready? Number one is this, stop settling for less. Do you know why we miss God? Just like the people in the subway, they're just busy going about their life. My challenge for you is this, don't settle for less anymore. Don't, 
in 2023, men in this church, in 2023, God has something special for you men, women in this church. He doesn't want you to live this year like you've lived it in the past, he has more. Kids, you are not just kids in the church, you are the church. The reason why we often miss God is because we're settling for less all the time. Seek and you will find, knock and, you, and the door will be opened. So stop selling for less. And, and lastly is this, come as you are. One of the beautiful things about God is that he doesn't want perfect people. By the way, I'm not perfect. I'm close, but I'm not, just kidding. <laughs> That's a lot funnier in Simpson where they know me a little bit more. They're like, yeah, there's no way you're perfect. I'm jacked up eight ways. I have so many problems. I'm such an imperfect person. God is not looking for perfect people. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for honest people. Let me, Jesus had a lot of statements about himself. He said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen to this. He didn't say at the end of the way you find me. He said, I am the way. That means we start with God and we end with him. My challenge for you is stop settling for less and come as you are. No pretense. Here I am, God. How can God wanna work in your life and move in your world? My challenge for you this year is as we follow Jesus together, that at the end of 2023, you would be able to say, I saw my God provide. I saw my God work. I saw my God move. I saw my God heal. I experienced my God lead, and I saw my God just do what only God can do because you didn't settle for anything other than him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. My prayer, Lord, for us, all of us today is that we would experience and witness that in this year of 2023, the same God that we see the woman at the well and the Israelites encounter, and that those that were there at the cross, that that same God is alive and well and wanting to work in our life where we are. My prayer, God, is that we would, in this year, not be so distracted that we miss the gift that you have for us, which is you. You are the gift. You are the gift. It's your life. So I pray, Lord, that you would allow us this year to follow you, and we could do it not isolated and alone, but together. We can declare your goodness together. And when life is hard, we don't have to walk it alone. We can walk it together. We can trust in you together. We can hope in you together. We can declare your goodness together because God, you are still alive, unchanging. You are as powerful, Lord, today as you were back then. And you are as good now as you have ever been. Lord, so help us to walk in the sea. We love you, Jesus, because of who you are and what you've done. We thank you for all these things in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.